0: A new California gun law, dashing the dreams of an Olympic hopeful. Plus, a conversation with Walk the Talk America about gun suicide prevention. That and more on this episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast.
1: I made the devil run. I gave him
0: poison just for fun. I had one. All right, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Weekly Reload Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Gutowski. I'm also the founder of the Reload.com, where you can pick up a membership today if you want to support our sober serious reporting and you want exclusive access to hundreds of members-only pieces, uh, we've got analysis and reporting over there behind our uh, member section. But you can also check out what we are, what we do, how we operate by signing up for our free newsletter, which comes out every Friday morning. It gives you a nice roundup of the news. You don't uh, have to spend a lot of time to get caught up on what's happening in guns in America that week. Uh, it's a great way to keep up to date. And most of our reporting is free for everyone. So head on over to the reload.com and sign up for that today. This week, we are talking about uh, firearm suicides and suicide prevention. And we have with us Mike Sedini, who is the founder of Walk the Talk America. Welcome to the show, Mike. Uh, can you tell people a little bit more about your background?
1: Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Stephen. Um, my background is I'm a third-generation firearms industry professional who, in 2009, I lost the president of my distribution company, my importing company, uh, which was Eagle Imports, to Suicide by Firearm. And in 2018, I got an opportunity to create Walk the Talk America, which was just a complete pivot from what I was doing, obviously being an importer of firearms and selling them, um, building brands in the United States, such as Bursa, Grand Power, uh, Metro Arms, uh, SPS, um, to working in suicide prevention and trying to solve uh, the best we can, some of the negative outcomes of firearms. Um, 2018 is when I started that, here we are like four years later and it's, it's, I could never have imagined that I'd be here now working in this space. So it's a little brief history.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And this is uh, obviously an extremely important topic. Uh, Traditionally, about two-thirds of gun deaths in America are suicides, uh, not murders. This is something we talk about a lot in the political landscape because uh, oftentimes you'll hear advocates for stricter gun laws conflate suicides and murders, as though uh, they, they sort of lump them together into gun deaths, um, and it's important to understand uh, the components of gun deaths, and that gun suicides are actually a major driver of gun deaths in America. And uh, it's important to understand that issue because uh, it's something that's that's been with us for a very long time, and, and it's something that uh, I think the gun community, gun mean community, the gun industry have. Put more effort into, as of the last uh, several decades here, um, you know, into prevention, into trying to find ways to bring down the the suicide rate and to help those who are uh, having suicidal ideation, people who are um, gun owners, and and uh, who might be res- uh, not responsive to other forms of of intervention, but but might have, you know, There might be a more of a a chance that you could reach them with uh, with a program like yours. So why don't you just give us a quick overview of uh, your program just to start off with here?
1: Okay, so uh, I'm going to rewind to before I started this. Uh, when when it, when it came to the the concept, right? When it you know it was a night I was out with one of my national sales managers, and uh, someone had asked a simple question right? We were talking about mass shootings and we were with this lady and she said, Hey, like what's the deal with the firearms industry when there's mass shooting, what happens? And I was like, well, contrary to what you think about us cheering, we actually don't. And I said, it's, it's, it's not a good look for us. We can't stand it as an industry. Uh, There's a lot of factors to it uh, more than just the tragedy, right? And I said, what happens is is then everyone blames us for it. We blame mental health and then nothing ever happens. So she asked this one question. So she goes, "Hey, if you if you understand that it's a mental health thing, how do you work with the mental health community to find solutions you can agree on?" And that just changed my whole life. Now, what I originally wanted to do with the concept Because my national sales manager turned to me, he's like, yeah, we should really be given a dollar a gun to mental health. Like he just said it as like a blanket statement. Right. So I originally just wanted to throw money at the situation. I thought, well, here's a cool concept. What if I were to get like Ruger and I was to go arms and high point and all these companies that I had relationships with that being in the firearms industry? What if we started supporting some mental health initiatives? Once again, just throwing money at the problem, right? Being like, hey, you guys handle it, but here we are, right? W- would they take our money? Like the mental health community takes money from Big Pharma, the mental health community would clearly take money from us. Uh, but what really was the eye-opener for me was when I would reached out, I would, I'm gonna say across the aisle, right? But it's really not an aisle. And um, they're just like the gun industry has a lot of nuance, so does the mental health community. But when I reached out and said, look, I wanna fund any kind of programs you have for outreach that would maybe stop mass shooters and potentially like, you know, work on some suicide stuff. They pretty much were telling me you need to focus on suicide prevention. This is the mental health side of things telling me that. And every person that I talked to, every doctor, every clinician, every, every important person that I, I was able to get a hold of in the very beginning, they all steered me back to suicide prevention because finding the next mass shooter is like finding a needle in a haystack. And they're the ones that told me that, and they told me why we should focus on suicide prevention. Is because if you can get to people early enough, cast such a wide net, get upstream to try to prevent the unpredictable, you might catch that next mass shooter early on in the process, right? But the true, um, you know, issue that we need to focus on is suicide by firearm. I mean when I when it took me a while to get my head around that, but then. Someone put it to me in a way that I just, I repeat it every time I talk, every time I'm, I'm speaking at a speaking event or I'm on some, a podcast or a radio show. Um, we had 59 people. I, I'm in Vegas right now, down Mandalay Bay, down the street with 59 people die on an October one tragedy. Everybody knows about that. It's one of the worst mass shootings ever. We have 67 people that take their life with a firearm a day, a day, right? So we have a October one mass shooting every single day and the news doesn't cover it. Um, you know people that have bad intentions when it comes to firearms and maybe anti-gun they like to lump that number in in total gun deaths like you had mentioned earlier um and and really when you do that the focus goes away from the real problem so what we look for is root cause mitigation what we try to do is find innovative ways that we can get people the help they need when they're in crisis without fear of consequence right to to make earth better to make their their mental state better and maybe save their lives. And what we realize is that the firearm can be a symbol of a place where someone can go to actually use a resource to get help. It doesn't have to just represent what it does to us, freedom, protection, protecting your family, right? Now we can also say like, we could take this valuable space and make it so people know that they can go and get help from a trusted source that's not going to uh, print, uh, you know, d- cause them to lose their firearms rights. I mean, that's the most important thing.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think you make a very important point there. I mean, the, the numbers here uh, are really relevant to this discussion because, yeah, mass shootings in America get a lot of attention. And uh, you, you can understand why. Obviously, they're very shocking events. They're horrible. Uh, people have a hard time uh, understanding the motivations or how can someone could do that. So it becomes, uh, a, you know, a, a more... Um, a topic of greater interest because people want to maybe try to, anytime something is confusing or mysterious, it's going to garner a little more attention. Whereas people can understand, I think on a base level, have a better, uh, um, understanding or or can better relate to somebody who has suicidal ideation. Uh, And so it's less of a mystery why those happen, but clearly, it's much more of the problem when you're talking about gun deaths in America, you reduce the number of gun suicides. You, that's where you're going to have your greatest percentage, uh, impact because they make up so much of, of the gun deaths in America. And, um, and so, you know, you, you said there that you reached out to some, you know, mental health professionals looking for ways to just, uh, initially just to throw money at the problem. But, uh, what was it exactly that led you to create an entire program? I mean, is this, so it sounds like you there wasn't necessarily something uh, that was specifically designed with gun owners in mind uh, when it comes to, uh, you know, off ramping somebody from, uh, you know, s- these suicidal uh, ideations. Yeah, it's really interesting. <laughs> Looking back on it now, in
1: the beginning, I was uh, super naive and um I just was super excited about the possibility of the firearms industry for once stepping up and and doing something right and then when I kind of discovered that there was no, there's no team out there on the mental health side or plan on the mental health side to kind of combat suicide by firearm, like they don't have the answers. That was a very depressing day for me, because I had to go back and talk to my board of directors and actually say like, there's nothing for us to fund we'd be just handing over money to mental health. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, especially if you have an organization that you like, but one of my board members actually made a great point Rob Pincus and he goes, hey, anybody could just hand money over to mental health. Like, what are we doing here? That forced me to look inside of the organization and also the firearms industry and say like, okay, let's get creative here. Um, what can we do to, to uh, get people the help they need but maybe we have to come up with the programs. Maybe the mental health side has has the tools and the resources, right? So one of the very first things I did was I created the the mental health flyer, the screenings, right? So I started putting them in the boxes of my firearms just to see how it would go. I wanted to see how customers react to it. I wanted to see how the industry would react to it, right? I didn't know if NSSF or NRA would be like, Mike, what are you doing, right? so the this this mental health screening flyer leads to 13 different uh, categories of mental health screens. You don't have to be in crisis to take a screen go on there. It's free and anonymous. I thought that's perfect, right? Now this is something that Mental Health America had already offered to the world. Um, you know, my thing was let's just take it a step further and directly send it to gun owners. Um, that's what my thinking was in the box, putting it in the firearms box. So you can go there and check yourself out. And then depending on where you fall, like, for example, there's a screen for anxiety. There's one for depression. There's one for substance abuse. Um, Maybe you have mild anxiety, okay? Maybe you have high anxiety, but there's ways to mitigate that. And the resources are there um, after you take the screening. So that was my first thought. But here's the other thing. So, like, I didn't want it, to me, like, you know how people are. It's like, okay, there's a manual. Is anyone going to read it? Um, They see something in the box. Mm -hmm. Are they just going to toss it out? I wanted, for the first time, like gun owners, to say, like, to see something about mental health coming from us, right? Like mental health. And if you if you read the card, and, and people can go on the website and see the card, but it says mental health. It's okay to talk about it, right? And it says Walk to Talk America is made of gun people who want to help other gun people. And what we found was that we were getting phone calls from our customers that you know would call Eagle Imports, and they're literally like, I just bought a Bursa the other day, and uh, I opened it up, and there was a screening in here, and they're like, thank you. I mean the response was super positive right and i kind of had suspected that that's what it would be because uh being that i've been in this industry so long um and you know this i mean we, we met at the nra show right you could walk around any firearms show whether it's shot show nra show um and you will find a, a a huge amount of first responders vets active duty military right people that their livelihood relies yep. on firearms Um, And that was one of the things that I always felt that got lost in the mix when we get into the uh, fights with the anti side. Right. When they were all talking about gun violence and it's like, yeah, suicide impacts our industry so much. I mean, clearly it it impacted me like in a huge way. I lost the president of my company in 2009. Um, But, you know, to me, I was like, okay, I think it's time for the firearms industry to have an outlet for gun owners to be like, yeah, we care about this too, right? We're always so on the defensive, just because of the things that were labeled, the things that were called, how we're misunderstood. Um, I think sometimes you you can lose sight of, what are the things we can do to actually bring this number down? And I'm not here to say that Walk the Talk America is going to be responsible for uh, bringing down suicide completely, right? I don't know that. and people always ask me, Mike, why do you focus on the firearm? Because I'm from the firearms industry, right? If I worked in rope, maybe I w- it would be a different story or pharmaceuticals, it'd be a different approach. But what I want to do is put ourselves in a position as an industry to say we are doing almost more than everybody else to tackle this issue.
0: Yeah. And and I can sympathize you, uh, with your your situation there as well. I lost a close friend to, uh, to suicide as well. Uh, Bob Owens, yeah. he was the, the founder of um, Bearing Arms. Uh, a lot of people in the industry know him and, and loved him, and uh, as did I. And uh, you know, unfortunately, he um, had his his uh, personal struggles and uh, committed suicide with a firearm um, several years ago. And and yeah, I mean, it's it, you, when you've gone through that experience, I think you can uh, have a better understanding of why it's so important for everyone, uh, regardless of, um, whether you're in the industry or, or not, or your political outlook on, on guns to uh, be interested in preventing these sorts of, uh, incidents and these, these kinds of deaths, because they are just that preventable, uh, in many cases, you know, people, uh, can be helped. Uh, and I think it's important for, the, the gun community gun owning community to find ways to help because I, I think there is uh, and, and I think you're, one of the points you're getting at here is there's you have a unique ability as as a gun owner uh, as someone in the industry to reach uh, a gun owner who might be struggling with with um, suicidal ideation and and might be able to make a difference in a way that somebody who isn't a gun owner or, or somebody uh, you know in the the in another sector of the mental health field might not be able to reach them especially given concerns around uh, as you mentioned earlier in the show uh, you know the idea that if I talk about this someone's gonna want take my guns away from me uh, and and so I'm interested one in, in your approach to that problem right that is i I imagine something that uh, comes up when you're dealing with uh, gun owners who may have uh, suicidal ideation, but also may be reluctant to tell anyone.
1: Yeah, it's been really, uh, it's been a real interesting journey and an eye opener, right? Because you have 50 different states that have 50 different rules on these things. Some states actually are worse than others, way worse than others. So you take, for example, like, let's just use New York as an example. New York has the SAFE Act. It's not that safe. Like what they think they're doing to get people help is actually a deterrent. To give people help because so many people, if you go in there and you just say I have anxiety, there's a very good chance that you will lose your rights. Um, that's been one of the great things about Walk Talk America is, as over the four years, as it's grown in popularity amongst the gun community, is that people reach out to us when they're unsure. They reach out to us many times. They're in a situation where. They're okay. They could go get help and we can reassure them of that, right? And and, because the law can be spooky, like, especially when, you know, a law is talked about like it's all encompassing for all 50 states, right? Not every state is New York, right? And Nevada is a completely different scenario. But one of the things that we have been doing that we're really proud of too. Um, is we have a cultural competence course for mental health clinicians where we give CEU credits for them to come through and take the course. It's a three part course, um, but one of the great things, just like we educate firearms owners on the mental health process and destigmatize it, and uh, you know the counseling process, we do the exact same thing for counselors. Uh, there are a lot of clinicians, just like you had mentioned, there's a lot of people that probably want to help but they don't know how to. Reach gun world, or they don't understand it, right? So we throw these courses. We've had um, just in the state of Nevada alone, we've we've had over a thousand people come through these courses that are clinicians. Some of them were probably, I mean, we've had them tell us, "Hey, I was anti-gun before I took this course. Now I'm totally changing the way I think, or now I'm gun neutral." Right? That's what we want. We want people to understand the fear that gun owners have, and I've watched, I've watched clinicians do mental gymnastics. In these courses, it's kind of interesting, especially when you're there live, like, you know, we have a, we have a, the third part of our courses actually takes place on a range where the you know, people are actually firing the firearms and getting to touch and feel them. Um, and we've had these round table discussions where I've watched these clinicians or literally go, I'm trying to think of how I could take somebody's gun, even if I wanted to. Right, and that was a real eye opener for me to to see that not all clinicians are here to take your firearms or can take your firearms. I mean, obviously, if you go into any you know clinic and you start saying really bizarre things, <laughs> you know, there there you might have an issue. But just you know, teaching clinicians that going to a range and shooting off a thousand rounds because you had anxiety is a normal thing, you know. Uh, For you and I, we're like, oh, that's it? You only shot a thousand? Oh, that's interesting. But like, you know, for a clinician who doesn't understand gun culture, that could be a real eye-opener. And that's what we got to break down. Mm. We have to normalize guns. Guns are normal. (laughs) People use them in everyday life. Right. Right. So,
0: Yes, guns are normal, and normal people use guns, as uh, Professor David Yamani likes to say. Uh, We we had him on the show a little while back. But yeah, I think that's a really good point, you know, about the not just educating gun owners, but also educating mental health professionals in gun culture or, or you know, the basics of gun ownership and uh, what is a, uh, a warning sign and what's not, because you're right, yeah. I mean, uh, it's a, it's a lot like uh, media coverage, right? When you, you hear about uh, someone having an arsenal, <laughs> right. and usually it's like they had a couple guns and a couple hundred rounds of ammunition, which is really not abnormal whatsoever um, in, in gun ownership terms, but, uh, to somebody who doesn't know anything about firearms, certainly I'm sure sounds like a lot of rounds. And, uh, and and so, yeah, going to the range and shooting a couple hundred rounds of ammunition is, is not something I think most gun owners would look at as out of the ordinary whatsoever. But if you don't know anything about guns, perhaps a clinician might, and it's important to, uh, understand those distinctions, right? I, I guess that's what you're, part of what you, you teach them. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think it's
1: important for them to know. It's important for them to know. So we, one of the programs that we have too, is we, we fly in to SHOT Show because we always have a booth at SHOT Show and SSF donates a booth to us. And, uh, you know, we always have a presence at the NRA show. And what we do is we actually bring clinicians in from pretty powerful positions, uh, other organizations outside. We will always pay for them to come and learn. And and it's a slow process, right? Because I think about how I got into firearms. I got in through nepotism. <laughs> so my, you know, my grandfather owned Eagle Imports. Uh, when I came out of college, I was basically told, "Look, you're going into firearms business. You're coming to work with us." And uh, it, it, it's a blessing, trust me. I, I would rather there's no other way I'd want to do it. But um, for me, because they didn't, you know, being from New Jersey, me growing up in California and Jersey. I wasn't around firearms. I didn't grow up around them. So I, all the things I learned was being immersed in the firearms community. Um, cause I'll be honest, when I first got into the firearms industry in like 98, I didn't really understand like why it was problematic to not, you know, why can't we give up ARs? I didn't say that out loud, (laughs) but I was, I, you know, I, I had this kind of, I had to learn and I had to, to build trust with people to where I can ask, like what I would say, these maybe a question that you you'd be afraid to ask. And I feel like that's where we really can make a difference is, um, bringing in people, gaining them to trust us and, uh, and showing them. And it's not like I show you one time and, and you totally get it right. Like a lot of times people need that repetition. So I love the fact that walk talk America has kind of become this, uh, this home base for, for many outside of the industry to call and say like, Hey, I'm thinking about backing this, this legislation. Why, why is this a problem? Explain it to me again. I know you explained it to me one time before, but I've completely forgot. Right. And then I could take them and walk them through why this ban um, is not going to do anything or what kind of problem it's going to cause amongst the two A crowd right? Um, Our worlds, the world that you and I walk in is completely different than most, right? I I don't know how many times you've probably seen statistics, like 70% of gun owners say that they're for this type of restriction. And you're like, no, you're not asking the people that we hang out with. sure. (laughs) You know, because there's no way it's 70. I would say it's almost zero. (laughs) Um, Or the people are lying to you. Like it's one or the other, right? My world is completely different than say you know someone that works in suicide prevention in new york city's world is, mm-hmm. you know it's a completely different yeah. world and it's a completely different audience
0: right right but it, but but walk walk the talk america is uh, at least in part about building you know bridges between those two worlds of like mental health professionals and and gun owners. i mean obviously there's going to be some crossover there already because i'm sure there are many mental health professionals who are gun owners uh, in the United States, It's as we've just mentioned, it's a, a very normal thing here for people to own firearms of all all walks, uh, uh, all types of people. But, but uh, you know, it's important to have that institutional connection. I guess uh, is is what yeah. what you guys are facilitating, really. And I'm glad
1: you brought that up because it's like perfect segue into something I wanted to mention, anyways. <laughs> so one of the things that we're working on now uh, is we're building an uh, affiliate network of clinicians that are pro 2A or 2 a friendly. And we have a process where we're, you, we obviously vet the clinician and, and they have to take our cultural competence course, but we wanna build that database. Because what's been happening over the last four years is that people contact Walk Talk America and they're like, okay, I'm ready to talk to somebody or my friend needs somebody and they don't want to go get help they want to make sure that they they go to somebody that's not going to judge them because they own a firearm and then we end up having to look for that so it's just a natural evolution of walk to talk america we're already almost over uh uh, you know we don't get paid for anything but like we're a referral system right and if we don't have somebody that has a connection to some certain area um we have to find it but one of our board members and i think he'd be a great guest one time his name jake wiskerson and he was or he is a licensed clinician in Nevada. And how we met is he had a show called Naga Notes, which is a podcast about mental health. It was the very first show outside of the gun industry or, or the two-A community that had invited me on and said, Hey, like, tell us about Walk Talk America. Well, we developed a relationship, we stayed in touch, but one of the interesting things about Jake was before I went on the show, he he said to me, like when we were doing the the warm-up, you know, he said, Hey, look. I have a concealed carry license and I'm a gun owner, but we can't talk about that on the show. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, I'm not gonna make someone talk about it if they don't, they're not comfortable with it. Well, as time went by, he realized like, and he'll say this, I had to come out of the closet as a gun-owning clinician because I I, I really liked what Walk Talk America was doing. And I was like, I wanna be one of the first ones that steps forward and says, it's normal. I, I'm I'm a gun-owning clinician. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to encourage clinicians to come forward to say, advertise just like they would. Hey, we're LGBTQ friendly. We're little people friendly. We're airline pilot friendly. We're single mom friendly. There needs to be a category that says we're two a friendly. Hmm. It just makes sense.
0: Yeah. So so if someone comes to you guys and they're they're struggling and they'd like to you know talk to a professional, see seek help as, as is the the right thing to do in a situation like that, but they're worried about, well, you know, if I tell, if I tell a clinician how I really feel, maybe they'll take my guns away from him and and that's not the solution I'm looking for. I don't, you know, or or that's something that would keep me away from talking to a professional. You can refer them to, to somebody who, uh, who is less likely to come to that outcome. Right. That's the idea, I guess. Yeah,
1: Absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's, that's exactly what we want to do because we're, we're already in that situation now. We're already in that situation where people are like, okay, I, I'm interested in talking to someone or, you know, we'll get the questions like, Hey, do I have to disclose this? If I go talk to somebody in the VA, right? Like those are things that, and once again, like if I had a dollar for every time we get, it's almost daily. I worked on one today for an hour, um, trying to find somebody for somebody, um, it, we wouldn't have to go out and try to raise money. (laughs) I mean, it's a huge fear that gun owners have. And it's something that I think that the clinical world has kind of skipped over, Mm. you know? Um, and, and to be fair to clinicians, I I've seen, that's another thing I've seen in the classes. I've literally seen clinicians. You could tell the look on their face. They're like, wait a minute. I didn't even realize people were afraid to come talk to us because of that. I didn't even know that was a thing. And it's like, yes, are, the fear of losing your two a rights is way more important than you think it is for others. Yeah. Um, and they need to understand that.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's, um, that's something that doesn't get discussed as much as it should in these sorts of conversations about, uh, you know, uh, gun suicides because it is a huge factor. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of the top criticisms of, of something like, uh, you know, red flag laws where, uh, one of the, one of the things they're most commonly used for is, is uh, people who have suicidal ideation to take their guns away from them. Um, and it's also one of the top criticisms of the, those sorts of laws that they, people might not seek out help because of that is a real possibility for uh, one of the outcomes. And, and, you know, and, and beyond just the the rights aspect to it. If there's also an embarrassment aspect to it, uh, I think for for a lot of people, right, that you'll hear, like if some if you have your home, the police come to your home and take away your guns, uh, you know, that the, that could help prevent uh suicide. I don't want to I don't want to discount that as as a having a practical positive effect, but it could also have a negative effect on your mental health if it's not done properly. You know, what I mean, like. And then you have other statutes as well, as, as you were alluding to earlier, where uh, you know if you want to have someone else hold your guns for uh, safekeeping when you're having uh, you know a, a mental health struggles and you don't want the guns, you you've actively decided you don't want them around you during that time, which can can again be a very healthy decision to make. Um, some statutes can actually hinder that process as well, right?
1: Yeah, you look at things like transfer laws. You know, I always talk about when I, when I, especially when I'm talking to people in the mental health community. You don't want to create unintentional uh, consequences to to these things that you think are helping, right? And I've actually seen where I've talked about transfer laws, and especially like in the state I'm in right now, Nevada. If you came over to my house and you were just like, "Well, you don't look like you're doing so well," like why don't I just remove the firearm? I mean, you step out the door now are criminals, right? And you, you just don't want that to happen. And I've seen it where the light bulb goes off and they're like, there's no good Samaritan clause. And I'm like, no, most of these transfer laws don't have that. Mm-hmm. So once again, you're creating these barrier to entries to get help. Um, you know, for me, anytime you can create time and space between someone and their firearm, because every crisis is temporary. I think that's a good thing. You want to encourage that right you want to encourage people to be able to go and drop their firearm off if they're doing I mean even, let's let's not even say it's a crisis let's just say uh let's say I'm taking a medication and one of the side effects is suicidal thoughts right and I'm I'm a responsible gun owner I got kids in the house I I, I say okay well you know for the next 30 days I want to watch where my head's at while I'm taking these pills but in the meantime I just better not have it in the house now I get it a lot of your listeners might be like why would you do that you're jeopardizing your safety but you got to address the problem that's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. And, and right, right then and there, it's your headspace. space, right? You don't want to add to the numbers of negative outcomes because of something. And um, I think that if we have more opportunities, and this is why I keep trying to bang on the, the, the door of the mental health community to say like, let's not create these barriers to entry. Let's be inviting to let people police themselves or each other in the community, you know, um, let's not punish somebody because, you know, Steven went out and got Mike's guns out of the house while he's going through his divorce. You know, this is all temporary, this will all pass. And that's what you gotta do is create time and space. And and yes, there are so many more deadlier ways. Like if you stand in front of a train, that's a pretty much guaranteed you're gone or jumping off like the Golden Gate Bridge. Those are, those, yeah, those exist, but we're talking about something that is readily accessible right then and there.
0: Yeah, and, um, and to be you know, fair, is the most common uh, yes. means for committing suicide in the United States. It's it's not as though this is a rare uh, way that people commit suicide. Just to be, you know, that that's just reality of of uh, America, and and um, you know that uh, no need to, you know, we don't need to to pretend it's not because that doesn't help anyone either. Um, uh, now, obviously, there's going to be very different. Strategies for reducing that that tendency, and 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 I, and certainly, like another criticism of red flag laws is that just removing someone's firearms is not uh, really fixing the problem if they're if they're having suicide ideation because it's not the only way, obviously, that somebody can um, um, carry out those those thoughts. And so, um, you know, it is important to uh, to keep in mind that you, you need to take you know, a holistic approach to someone's mental health, and it's not just about removing uh, one of the means of, of uh, taking your life. What you wanna do is obviously get that person um, the counseling they need to uh, bring them out of that space. Um, and But it is, like you said, important to keep in mind that while they're in that headspace, Uh, It it probably is better for for many people um, to have to not be around firearms, uh, to be able to with their consent um, and in perhaps in extreme cases without their consent. uh, You know, that's obviously always going to be controversial. But but uh, in cases where where they consent, they they should have options to to have uh, their firearms removed temporarily, uh, you know, stored with a friend stored, uh, you know, in a lockbox, uh, somewhere they trust. I know there's, there's some programs that, that will do that actually, uh, as well, but, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to be realistic about this conversation because it doesn't help anyone to just pretend like, um, uh, having suicidal ideation and having a gun is, is a, a perfectly fine mix, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we want to come up with with realistic approaches to to reduce the, the the likelihood of a negative outcome from that, and uh, I guess that's where though there's a significant disagreement with uh, you know people in the gun space, people in gun owners, people in the industry, and you know gun control advocates who obviously also talk about this issue uh, extensively and tend to focus on um, solutions that effectively make it harder to obtain guns in the first place for really for everyone. Uh, you know, there, there has been there have been some studies that show uh, lower gun suicide rates in states that have uh, gun licensing laws, for instance, per- purchase licenses, um, uh, and really just restrictions that make it more difficult to obtain firearms generally, uh, although it's even that if you look at the Rand Corporation review of studies, it's stronger evidence than some of the other outcomes, uh, for these laws that have been claimed, like reducing crime. But, um, it's still relatively moderate, uh, evidence. But, uh, you know, the focus there on the gun control side is, you know, is, I guess this is sort of obvious, but is controlling guns to get at the root of this problem. Whereas, uh, you know, your focus is that that's not your focus, right? Just general restrictions on firearms instead you're, you're looking at um, how to improve mental health access and training uh, for, for professionals as well.
1: Yeah, I think that there's a, you know, I'm gonna circle back to red flag laws. Mm-hmm. Um, I think gun owners are a little smarter than that, right? They look at the red flag laws and they go, you're gonna take my firearm, but you're not gonna take the rope out of my house. You're not gonna take the medication. You're not gonna drain the pool. You're not going to take the door off the garage right you're not even going to take my car away which is a way i could also do something tragic mm-hmm. um and i think that that's the worst part about the red flag laws is they're very insincere and then the path to rights restriction is very difficult so it's easy to take them but then getting them back is is a whole different ball game and, and it Many cases can take over a year, you know? Um, And who's making those assessments or those judgments on what qualified you for that red flag? I mean, there's so many horror stories. We don't want to do anything that controls. Uh, We don't want to tell anybody what to do. Uh, We feel like if you give people the options to make the decisions to find the help they need, they're going to take advantage of that as long as they know it's okay. At least most of the gun owners that I interact with or come through the website, Um, I think it just needs to be readily available and it needs to come from a trusted source, right? Um, People always say like, uh, what's the, you know, I was was meeting with the VA last week and I said, you know, gun shops is where many people go. I used to call it the white man's barbershop back in the day when I first started in the gun industry. Now it's everybody's barbershop, right? Because you have all these like amazing demographics that are coming up and getting into firearms. If anyone ever goes to a gun shop, you know you walk in and there could be eight people in there that have no intention of buying anything but they're just there to hang out and talk to the guys behind the counter or sure. talk to each other right yeah, i do that too, so though, yeah right <laughs> i mean we've all done it um you know for me like that's where the good information needs to be passed that's where we people need to find the resources right like i if i buy a box uh, and this is a plug obviously for arms core but this is an important this ties into what we're saying if i buy you know, some arms core ammunition and they have the get a free and anonymous mental health screening at WTTA.org forward slash love, which is our mental health screenings. Um, I'm going to trust that, that arms Corps is not going to get me in trouble. Like they're not going to try to get my gun <laughs> sticking right. away. They're going to pass good information. That's going to help me. And, and the resources on there that direct me to are going to actually be beneficial. So that that's, that's what we want to do. We don't want to We don't want to create any unintentional consequences Mm -hmm. to to stop people from getting help. We want to get people help and we want to get people help early, you know, not at stage four. Like I want people to be on top of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the gun industry can do that. I think we can get to where the alcohol industry got with DUIs, you know, because nobody's blaming Johnny Walker for any tragic event. Like when someone gets behind the wheel and does something stupid, we can get there. We don't have to be the tobacco industry you know, where they ended up forcing us to do stuff. We can do it. Um, and then at the same time, we can fight just as hard for our Second Amendment rights. Hmm. So,
0: yeah. So, I mean, at the, at, I think the bottom line, it sounds to me like, uh, you know, what what you guys are doing is attempting to build trust with those who are struggling uh, in ways that isn't really possible for someone outside of the gun-owning community or the gun industry to, to do, really. Um, and and that's, that's a big key to, to perhaps, um, reaching those people because, you know, like, like we said, there, there are reasons why they might not trust, uh, you know, any clinician they walk into off the street, you know, or they, you know, the, the mental health professional they Googled or whatever, they might not fully trust that person. And they have these concerns that non-gunners might not have right uh, about going to visit uh you know someone to talk about their mental health struggles and uh so that you know you guys are are filling a role that um, it mean, seems very important to me uh to make people understand that there there are options and that that the you know the concerns they have may be legitimate uh uh you know about why they don't speak out but there are there are ways to mitigate those concerns,
1: right? Yeah, it's 100%. And just to put a stamp on everything you said, which is totally accurate, it, it's also, I love, <laughs> I was a big, when I owned Eagle Imports, I I couldn't stand it when employees would come to me and point out problems without offering a solution. It, it could have been a silly solution. I just needed a solution attached to, hey, I see this problem because everybody could see those problems. And one of the things that I love about this too is that I love that and no one's asking, I mean, no, I, I guess people outside of the gun industry would ask us to do something, but no one's expecting it from us, right? So I love going into these rooms and showing them what we do as the firearms community to address these issue issues and watch the look on a lot of faces, right? Cause they're like, oh my God, like you got this card, this card's going into the boxes of firearms and there's firearms companies stepping up and doing this and supporting that. I love that, right? And I think that that's how we win. I know, you know, they're on the, the 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 forefront on the front line the battle uh with, you know, those that are pro 2A and those are against it or want to change it. Um that's that's a hardcore fight, right? What I think we're doing here is laying like a foundation and we're kind of slowly changing a belief system that others had of us, and I'm okay with that you know what I mean like I need I need the guy next to me who's like pride for my golden hands like I I totally do but I also like being there as that other option it's like well I can't talk to that guy but I feel like I can talk to you and I like what you guys are doing and then that creates that opportunity for us to develop a relationship and you know I feel like eventually you're going to get to where You're going to rethink the way you think about firearms. If you have a a bad taste in your mouth, when you deal with walk, talk America, just because of the way we approach things, we're not going to back silly legislation, that's a non-starter. But the thing is, is like, do you really want to save lives? If you do, then you're really going to like what we do and you're going to be able to get behind it. And then you're going to start thinking like that, right? Mm. What's happening now, what we've had for the last 10 years, it's not working. It's just not working, right? We're we're seeing more suicides by firearm, like that's going up. Mm-hmm. Um, if restriction worked and legislation worked, because now we have more legislation and restriction than ever, you know, on a federal level, right? Like you would see a decrease, and we're just not seeing that. So we got to get we got to get creative, like, and that's something that you know we always look at, like what can we all work on together. And those being creative and getting out of the box is something that we can work on together. As long as you just throw the restriction thing out the window, you know, I I don't think that has to be the end all be all. And I'm with you. Right. I agree. Like you can anecdotally probably look to certain instances, just like we can anecdotally do that all day with, with, you know, on the same, same, same subject, just different side of the fence on where people stand at guns. We could look at people and say, well, what about this instance? Yeah. Is a waiting period, has it saved somebody's life? Probably, maybe, right? But does it infringe on other people's right to get a firearms and can we use examples where that waiting period may have gotten somebody killed? I can, I can bring those up, right? I I just think let's do stuff that makes sense and everybody can get behind.
0: Mm. And
1: that's really where I feel like Walk Talk America
0: is at. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And so, um, you know, most importantly, what you're doing has the potential to, to save lives. Uh, I think that is the, the key takeaway and, and the strategies that you guys have come up with to do that. Uh, they make a lot of sense to me. I hope that they're uh, successful in, in the long run, that they're going to help reduce the number of people we lose uh, to, to suicides e- each year. Uh, because you know, just like you, I've personally suffered a loss uh, in that way, somebody that I care deeply about. Um, and who didn't, you know, wasn't, uh, uh, didn't realize that perhaps in, in that moment, um, uh, you know, how many people cared about, about him. And, uh, you know, that's unfortunately something a lot of people go through and it's important that they, uh, get the help to realize how important their lives are, uh, to, to those around them. And, uh, and so speaking of that, how can people reach out? Uh, who might be in a crisis, or even just somebody who wants to, you know, get get on the the track to to mental health, to better mental health, you know, long term. Um, you know, as you've spoken about here, you don't have to wait until you're in crisis to to take advantage of these resources. Uh, what's the best way for somebody to to reach out to you guys?
1: So you can go to wtta.org or you can go if you want to take a screening, which I recommend people do. I, I tell my friends all the time, my, my daughter, I told my own daughter to do it one time and it changed her life because she found out she only had mild anxiety, right? Like it made her feel so much better. And then she had a totally different mind frame of how she felt about her anxiety. So I tell people all the time, go to WTTA.org forward slash love, take a screening. You don't have to be in crisis for it. Um, if you want to find us on social media, it's at Walk the Talk US. we're on Instagram, Twitter, and facebook and we're we're pretty responsive so if you have a question or you want to get a hold of us you can either do it through the website or you can do it through social media Um, and besides that we we do have a podcast the guns and mental health podcast where we tackle uh subjects that are 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 kind of out of the box right we'll have uh, mass shooting survivors on we'll have people that uh, use their firearm in defensive situations paramedics first responders um, you know, we even had Tupac's bodyguards wife on, and, and like, just to give you an example of, of how interesting that story was, um, after Tupac died, his bodyguard basically walked around the world, you know, with the weight of the world on his shoulders, because in his world, you know, it was on his watch that Tupac was shot and killed. Um, a lot of people don't think about, you know, you talk about the trauma bomb that goes off, right? When Bob and, and Bill, like uh, per, my, my friend, the trauma bomb that went off was was horrific. And he ended up taking his life with a firearm because he wouldn't go get help because he was a bodyguard and he didn't want to lose his right. He was an ex-Marine and didn't want to lose any of his rights. He ended up taking his life. Uh, we had his wife on the show and she was able to talk about what it's like to live with somebody who you can't help because they're afraid right like so we we have all these different outlets for people to learn stories and educate themselves so WTTA.org, i know i got a little long winded there but you know you, you can go no, check out no it's important
0: for people to hear yeah no, so absolutely uh, but we appreciate you coming on the show and we'll have to have you on again soon
2: no no i appreciate you thank you for having me all right, ladies and gentlemen welcome to the weekly news segment i'm here of course with reload founder steven gatowski how are you steve i'm doing all right how are you jake I'm, I'm doing pretty good um you got a interesting piece on the site this week uh, a feature about this promising young shooter out in california who's uh facing some some difficulties because of a uh, recently passed gun law um, that has had the unintended consequence or or perhaps intended depending on who you ask of kind of dampening her progress in, in shooting sports. If you want to tell us a little bit about what you what you found.
0: Yeah. So we've got a story about Lola Fitzgerald, who's a 16 year old uh, champion shooter. She's she does skeet and trap shooting out in California. And she's won uh, a number of titles in the state and outside the state. And, and her, her father, Jay, said she's consistently ranked in the top 10 uh, female youth shooters in, in the country. So she's, she's this great prospect. She's got a lot of uh, potential moving forward in her, uh, in her life. She wants to become an Olympic shooter someday, like uh, six-time Olympian Kim Rody, who is uh, the um, only American, the only summer Olympian to have medaled in six consecutive Olympic Games. So she's, she's rather accomplished three, three golds, a uh, silver, and three, uh, two bronze medals for for Kim Rodian. So that's who Lola Fitzgerald wants to be like. But unfortunately, yeah, AB two five seven one. This new res- restriction on advertising to um, minors, anyone under the age of eighteen uh, about firearms. In in sort of anyway, it's written very broadly. So uh, in practice, what's happened is all of the shooting leagues are, are Nearly all the shooting leagues in California have shut down now for for youth shooting. And you've had even uh, competitions and events outside of California are no longer uh, advertising to those inside of California because of this law, which carries, by the way, a $25,000 fine for every infraction. Um, And so people are very concerned about where this this is headed, and it's effectively shut out Lola from the shooting sports uh, altogether right now, and <clears throat> it's basically crushing her dream to become an Olympic shooter. Um, you know she she's had uh, interest from colleges since she was in the eighth grade. She's a junior in high school now. She has two years left uh, before she uh, you know graduates, and if she's not able to. Uh, communicate with the colleges about their shooting programs. She won't be able to obtain, uh, you know, a scholarship, which is a more common thing now that you see for women's shooting programs on college campuses. A lot of them are, are scholarship programs, and um, yeah, it's it's having this this very severe effect on this young woman's ability to follow her ambitions.
2: Yeah. yeah. No, the chilling effect, as you pointed out in the piece, has been severe, not just in California, but as you pointed out in, in neighboring states, her family explored potentially looking to compete in neighboring states like Arizona. And because this law is so vaguely and broadly written, even those places are, are not wanting to get uh, involved with a potential $25,000 fine. Um, you reached out to the governor's office to see if it was this his intent to chill all shooting sports. And, and what, what did you find out when you... Talk to newsom's office
0: yeah so the governor's office is saying that they don't read the bill this way they don't read the laws requiring uh, shooting leagues or training to stop communicating with uh, youth shooters but uh, again when you read the actual statute and um, how basically everyone is reading it uh, that doesn't seem to actually be the case in in practice and uh when i asked if the governor would support uh, an amendment to the the law to clarify it or uh, or you know repeal they did not respond so uh you know governor gavin newsom uh, who's a democrat is and who's who's obviously one of the leading gun control advocates in the country uh who's signed uh, a myriad of of new gun restrictions oh uh, you know since the Supreme court filed, uh, it's, it's opinion in the brewing case, you know, it's been sort of a, a backlash from, from governors like Gavin Newsom and, uh, Kathy Hochul in, in New York to that ruling where they've just kind of laid on a lot of new restrictions to, as, as a kind of uh, doubling down against what the court is, is trying to do. So, Um, I I don't, you know, he says that this is not what they view the law as intended to do, but I don't know that his um, understanding of the intentions of the law really matter all that much in real life, Um, you know, unless he's going to support amending the law to clarify these things, because it is written very broadly. It's, you know, it it says firearm uh, industry um, member, but that's defined to be as broad as anyone who um is involved with uh, even just a person <laughs> involved with an event that where firearms are used so you can see why the shooting leagues are are concerned um uh or even you know perhaps uh, like any camp that teaches kids how to shoot as part of uh their their offerings would could be affected by this law and basically they can't advertise or, or communicate market to Uh, Anyone under 18 in California, uh, anything about guns or gun related products. So, even, uh, you know, shooting vests designed for kids would be, you'd be a a $25,000 fine if a shooting league sent out uh, uh, any sort of communication with an 18 year old or anyone under 18 that talks about, you know, any equipment that they might want to use. Uh, And so, you know, it's extremely broad and it applies to anyone who's trying to communicate to anyone under 18 in California. So it's, it's goes beyond groups that are based in California to anyone who is, uh, whose messaging is entering into California. That's why you've seen some shooting leagues shut down, uh, basically block their websites from uh, California residents. And so, uh, you know, whatever the governor might, Say he understands the law to be what it actually is in practice is pretty clear at this point. There's really not much, uh, you, you uh, I suppose he's arguing that these these groups are overreacting, but I mean, that's a $25,000 fine for every infraction. So if your newsletter about your shooting league goes to a thousand kids, well, you know, you're, you're bankrupt real fast. I was that. gonna say, you could see why these.
2: these- Organizations or businesses would not be reassured by statements like that, especially when he won't commit to clarifying a clarifying amendment in the law. Um, And as you pointed out, he's expressly kind of taken up the gun issue in particular as sort of a a culture war totem as of late, particularly Mm -hmm. after the Bruin decision. All of this, this whole advertising to minors thing kind of kicked off when he elevated this, this AR-15 style 22 rifle that no one really knew about (laughs) until he decided to make it a big issue. The some Evil thing the Jr 15. That's right. That the gun industry was marketing weapons of war to miners. Um, and I, you and I are pretty plugged into the gun space. Did you even, were you even aware of this weapon before the governor made it a big deal?
0: <laughs> I was because I saw their booth that shot show and I thought, oh, that's going to be a, something that, that uh, is going to piss off a lot of uh, gun yeah. control. And you were right, <laughs> which is, which is what happened. And that's what it was designed to do. Frankly, this, the gun's not anything special really. Uh Smith & Wesson has been making a twenty-two version of the AR for right. decades, I believe, now, and um but it doesn't have that sort of provocative uh jokey advertising with the skull and crossbones and a pacifier uh that is that, that uh the, the governor of California was so upset about. Um but of course, uh, you know. Uh, of course, uh, the problem is that this law doesn't just ban those cheeky ads or whatever right. you want to call them. Um, you know, even if you find them to be particularly uh, outrageous in uh, you know in good faith, this law does way more than
2: yeah. ban
0: the advertising of those guns. So, uh, and it's effectively wiped out youth shooting sports in, in California to this point. And you know, the gun rights groups. Uh, all agree with this interpretation of the law. They say, you know, he, the governor can say what he wants, but it's not how the law is written. Right. And so they've, there've been groups that have sued. We've got, uh, the California Rifle and Pistol Association, the second amendment foundation, I believe, uh, uh, California gun foundation. Is foundation also. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, a number of groups have already sued over this law. They're seeking a preliminary injunction on, uh, and there's a hearing on August 21st for that. Uh, they, Alan Gottlieb, the founder of the second amendment foundation told me, uh, you know, that he believes this law is, is blatantly unconstitutional, that it's a parallel to another law that they had challenged back in 2014 and successfully got thrown out or successfully got declared unconstitutional, which was, this was, there was a ban on Uh, advertising by gun stores, even on their own premises. Basically, you couldn't say that you sold guns um, or the prices of them and you couldn't put up signs in your windows, uh, that sort of thing. And and that did get thrown out. Now, uh, in that case though, the law survived for about four years. Preliminary injunction was not granted in that particular case. And the summary judgment wasn't issued until 2018. So if that's what happens in this, that that's one of the dangers here is this law may well be declared unconstitutional, probably on First Amendment grounds, more than right. Second Amendment grounds, honestly. But um, if it takes four years, that's too late for someone like Lola, because she's she's got two years left of high school. If she's not able to compete, if she's not able to talk to colleges about their scholarship programs for women's shooting sports. I mean, she's going to have a very hard time of getting a scholarship and uh, continuing to improve her skills to make the Olympic team one day. I mean, she's she's been invited to multiple Olympic uh, development camps to this point. But if she can't go to those things, if she can't compete, if she can't get coaching, it's going to be much harder for her to achieve that goal. And, uh, you know, that's the real danger here is that even if this law does get struck down eventually it could be too late for someone like Lola. That's right. We'll have to
2: keep an eye on that preliminary injection hearing. And of course you can look to the reload, we'll we'll be reporting on the results of that for sure.
0: Absolutely. Uh, But we wanna try something new here, a new segment, uh, just a little bit of a a personal update, uh, just talk a little bit about uh, what we've been shooting or doing lately. Uh, Sometimes I'll do this on the members newsletter, by the way, if you're not a member yet, you, can, you should consider uh, joining and you'll get those members' newsletters on Sundays. You'll get access to uh, exclusive analysis pieces and extra reporting. Like this week, we had uh, an entire piece with Chuck Mitchell, who's the head of the California Rifle and Pistol Association. We talked to him about his view on what the governor is doing there and how it's he's Taking this sort of overload strategy of passing a lot of questionably constitutional laws, and, and the gun groups are having to file cases. He said they're they're up to nearly a dozen cases, active cases right now against California gun laws. So, uh, you should check that out, by the way, if you're a member or, or joined today to to read it. But uh, yeah, sometimes I, I give members uh, you know personal updates on what's going on. You know, we're not reviewers. There's a lot of great places you can go. Online, especially on YouTube, uh, to to get gun reviews, but you know, we, we like to talk about. We're gun owners, shooters. Um, I can I have a concealed carry license, um, and I'm a certified firearms instructor for the NRA's basic pistol course. So, you know, I we like to talk about guns at least. Right. And uh, one interesting thing, by the way, Jake is recently uh, my my girlfriend has um, become interested in getting a firearm and, and carrying it. Um, you know, she had someone, uh, make comments to her while she, a man was made comments to her while she was walking back to her house recently. And that made her very uncomfortable. Um, as you might imagine, she's very small. She's uh, four foot, like 11, uh, you know, a small frame. And, and so you know, she carries pepper spray and that's the, you know, she does, uh she's, she takes precautions but she's interested in getting a gun and, and carrying it and one of the issues I've I think we've run into is like you know I'm 6'1 like 260 pounds and uh so for me something like the SIG P365 is a really small gun. Right. Like it's tiny, super easy to conceal. Uh and you know I wear clothes with belts and and t-shirts that are not super tight. Um, you know, like your common man wardrobe as people could probably make out on the YouTube videos. And, um, so, you know, it's fairly easy for me to just conceal in a, uh, you know, an inside the waistband holster. And, uh, I could carry, I could probably carry a, a full size gun and be fine concealing it. But, uh, for her, it's a lot harder. Uh, right. We've found like the three, six, five is is small for a subcompact uh nine millimeter but it's still fairly big for someone her size w- wearing like tighter clothing tighter yeah. fitting clothing
2: and, i was gonna say that that's uh, the hang up my, my girlfriend has a 365 as well and she tries to carry it sometimes but the tighter fitting clothing is where you run it like you said you and i might wear jeans and a t-shirt and we'll be fine but it, those tighter fitting women clothing uh present a, a problem when it comes to printing for sure
0: yeah absolutely and so we've i don't know i've been trying to work through this and watching videos and talking to friends and i, I obviously always welcome more advice from any ladies listening who've who've gone through the same uh, experience you know obviously she could wear different clothing i hope but that that kind of sucks as a solution right? right um i was thinking maybe she could You choose different guns, depending on the outfits, but that's, um, it's not a perfect solution either. Cause then you have to train with multiple kinds of guns, but I don't think there's going to be a, a perfect solution in her case, of course. Um, and then of course she, she works in DC and takes Metro to get there. So that complicates things a lot because DC bans concealed carry on Metro, even if you have a permit, she doesn't have any permits yet. Uh, so we're still. We're one of the interesting. Th- we're really one of the really interesting things, though, in this whole process is we we came across a new class nearby uh, at a store called Dominion Defense in Northern Virginia here, and they're now offering um, all three of the permit classes at once. So Virginia, Maryland, and DC all at once for three hundred bucks, which is a great deal because you you know you could spend that much on just the DC. Right. Uh, training that's required and um and it's just kind of surreal too for me (laughs) because i've lived here for about a dozen years and it was never realistic that uh you could get all three of those and i mean dc became realistic a couple years ago um uh and then and then now maryland is because of bruin and so it's just kind of fascinating so i'm gonna do this class with her i mean i have a virginia license but but, you know, I can realistically legally carry in Maryland and D.C. now um, and perhaps in the whole country at some point soon, which is really pretty surreal. Right. Came across the post-Bruin
2: landscape in the flesh. First time yeah. coming across the, the concrete effects of that law. That is, It is weird because, you know, every gun owner knows you don't even try in Maryland, right, for, for the longest time. It was just like it was out of reach and it, it's wild to see for sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just like, and obviously, I know intellectually that that was possible now, right? But uh, I don't know. You just kind of in in person, it takes a little while for it to click in your head, and it took for it took this class coming, you know, to my attention for that to really connect. Because uh, plus, like, the way they teach that class all at once, like makes it way more realistic to do it too, right. because if you try, if you do the Maryland class and the DC class and the Virginia class is all separately, because they're all, they all require different training. Right. Uh, you know, that, that takes um, that, that makes the bill add way up right? to be able to actually get those permits. But if you can take them all at once, um, you know, they, they, have, and they have supplemental, you know, sections for each of the, the different standards, but, but it, that really changed my, my outlook on it. And it's like, wow, this here's where the rubber meets, meets the road for this Supreme court decision. Like I'm actually seeing it in my real life right? Uh, instead of just writing about it. So it's been pretty fascinating, but we're going to, you know, we're, we're planning on taking that class. Once, uh, once my girlfriend's done with a class she's doing for work right now. And, and I think that's going to become a really popular option in this area. Uh, because, I mean, you know, you really need that DC permit and Maryland permit, if you're going to carry there, because they're not going to mess around with you. Right. (laughs) And, um, and so, but I'll, I'll be watching out there. There's also a new, uh, new SIG three, six, five that just came out the X macro or something that looks really interesting. Mm -hmm. And didn't you just get a new gun?
2: Uh, yeah, I, I traded in my old, I had a, the old shield 2.0, uh, the Smith Mm -hmm. and Wesson that I carried for a couple of years um and i'm a little late to the game but i finally traded it in for the the shield plus because i you know figured yeah. i'd join the new subcompact revolution where they all have 10 plus rounds now uh, so You're i finally right. traded it in and, and got it and, and shot it for the first time a couple of weeks ago and it, it's great it's a huge upgrade and, and it's reassuring to know that you have with the flush magazine 10 rounds minimum so it's it's been it's been great to to have it. add that to my
0: carry uh, arsenal yeah, I started with a shield when I was first carrying. I started with a forty caliber shield with a manual safety. Oh, jeez. which is <laughs> oh boy, that was not a very well well shooting. It wasn't a very smoothly the, the, the recoil on that was very snappy. I very was going to say, especially speed. in forty, it wasn't great. But um, yeah, then I now I carry a Springfield XDS of uh, the four the longer barrel, but. So yeah, I really need to upgrade two, frankly. <laughs> I need to I did I mean I have a 365. I bought a 365 when they first came out, uh which was the problem because when they first came out, they had uh significant issues with right. light primer strikes primer, and Yeah, yeah, they had a lot of issues with the striker uh, assembly not not being quite up to snuff. But but uh Yes. Yeah, so uh, and I've replaced the striker assembly and I'm still getting like primer strikes on the three, six, five. So I have to send it back to SIG actually, but wh- I really want to move up to the uh, three, six, five XL. They've ironed out a lot of these problems now, right? Uh, as far as I can tell from, from everyone else reviewing them the last couple of years, which is the same, like the shield had issues when it came out, yeah. uh, the XDS had issues when it came out. These a lot of subcompacts. They take a couple of years to iron out all the bugs. Which is not great, right? Not a great industry practice. You know, right. Guns shouldn't be like video games, right? Uh, you know, I don't want to have to download a, a an update to fix the, the trigger. Especially guns
2: my, specifically my marketed as defensive firearms. Exactly, yeah. exactly.
0: So, uh, you know, not a great trend in the industry, I think. Yeah. But uh, one that has happened nonetheless. So maybe. When a new, when a brand new model comes out, like if it's a variation, like this new SIG, three, six, five X macro, which by the way, like the SIG really put the full court press on, on, uh, pushing that to the, all the influencers. Cause I've seen it all over my feet, it's yeah. all, over YouTube. all over YouTube, everyone at once had it, uh, had a, had a review of it. Um, which is even more so than normal, I think for a new gun, everyone loves it. So I'll have to see what it's like, but, but, um, you know, that, that's less of a concern, I think, because it's just a slight variation of on what they've already had as a gun. But if you get a brand new gun, like maybe the like the Hellcat or something, <clears throat> although I haven't heard the same kind of issues with Hellcat, so I don't know if that had any really bad problems when it first came out. But you know, that that's where I get more concerned. If it's a brand new model, <clears throat> the quality assurance and the early runs. I'm not too confident right. a little anymore shaky. after these last <laughs> last decade or so of gun development, but uh, I, I'm confident that I, they will eventually fix them. Yeah, uh, but I don't, you know. And my experience with the P365, <clears throat> I think mine was like a 2018 run, like it's like one of the second runs they ever did. Not great. Never, never could carry it because I <laughs> I'd get a light primer strike every yeah. 50 rounds. Not exactly reassuring for <laughs> carry. So. And I've tried to fix it myself and haven't had success. You clean out the striker channel and yeah, it'll work for a while, but it always goes back. Even with a new striker assembly, I thought that would fix it too. But nope, I'm going to have to send it back to SIG and maybe they'll, they'll fix it or replace whatever they're going to do. Uh, but either way, I, I need to upgrade mine too. And we still need to, you know, anyone's got advice on what my girl, my girl, four foot 11 girlfriend could <laughs> more realistically carry? please let me know. (laughs) But uh, that's it for this week. Thank you guys so much for joining us. Uh, If you made it this far, please go and rate the show on whatever podcasting app you're listening to to it on. Give it a like on YouTube, subscribe, do all those things. They help us immensely. And the best way to help us is by buying a membership. Uh, That's how we make all of our money. That's how the Reload is able to operate. It is only through the support of our members. So please consider picking up a membership today over at the reload.com or just, uh, you know, join the newsletter. Uh, the free newsletter goes out every Friday. You get uh, a great overview of guns, gun news in in the country for the week, Uh quick overview. You don't have to spend 20 hours a week just to keep up with the gun news. You just read our newsletter and you'll be, you'll be well-informed. I promise you, uh, and you can get a taste of of how we operate before you you make the the dive into membership. But uh, that's it. We'll see you guys again next week.